Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, November 12th. I am Cheats. I'm riding solo today. Gigi Broadway is out today. She will be back next episode for sure. But on today's episode, we are talking all about last week's major elections in Virginia. I will be sitting down with a good friend of mine, David Shriver, who is one of the best freelance journalists and all of Central VA, all of VA, covering last week's election and the General Assembly flip from Republican control to Democratic control. In addition to that, we're going to get really local and we're going to talk to Councilwoman-elect Stephanie Lynch. She was the winner of the highly contested 5th District City Council race last week and she has a lot to say about what her priorities are moving forward and she has some comments on this big navy hill project that everyone seems to be talking about so without further ado oh i do have one caveat yesterday was veterans day i am a veteran my grandfather's a veteran my father's a veteran so i have to shout out all of the veterans all across the country and especially in virginia It is an honor, it is an honor, it is an honor to be amongst your ranks, but also to be uh, with you because the duties that veterans and all those that serve, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is and how awesome it is. And so if you see a veteran this week, make sure you tell them happy Veterans Day and give them some love. As always, I got to say, before we cut to break, I've got to say this episode is sponsored and brought to you by Working Friends, one of the best co-working spots in all of VA. Make sure you catch check out Working Friends. If you ever want to contact the show, thecheatsmovement at gmail.com or thecheatsmovement on social media on everything. If you want to contact me, if you want to contact Gigi Broadway, if you ever want to be involved in the show as a sponsor, please contact us. We need your support. Now, without any further ado, we'll be back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. I am Cheats, and joining me right now at 804 RVA is a good friend of mine, David Shriver. David, welcome to the program. Uh, Thanks, Cheats. We are talking elections and election day. What just happened uh, last Tuesday, a big election day. I think the big headline of the election day is a bit of a blue wave. I mean, I guess it's not a bit. It's a blue wave in the state. So now Democrats control the governor's mansion, lieutenant governor's mansion, attorney general, and the state senate and state state, uh, house of delegates. David, you've been covering this for a number of outlets Tell us a little bit, what, what's your headline, what's your takeaway from Election Day? I, I would, ultimately, the policies one, I'd say. Uh, gun control was the number one thing I heard. I was out, out on the polls in Chesterfield and speaking to voters from all over the state, but gun control was probably the number one issue I heard over and over. Uh, second would have been school funding and, in general, education. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of people thought healthcare would be one of the big issues with the Medicaid expansion. And mm-hmm. I think like, that kind of broadly signaled Ba- the basic liberal message of like, you know, healthcare is a good thing. Uh, but I don't think it actually impacted that many people who voted for, for Democrats. I, I think that was more of a, a tonal thing than a, than a concrete policy for them. So as we go around kind of the central 
Richmond area, like that central Richmond region. Uh, a number of kind of high profile races that uh, I guess there was some there was some change in there. What were some of the races that were key to you guys uh, that you were covering in the media outlet? Uh, so I was covering uh, Gazala Hashmi, who was running against Glenn Sturdivant in a very what looked like a repeat of the 2015 race where Democrats were really thinking that was a district they could flip with Dan Gecker. Uh, and I also covered Deborah Rodman versus uh, trying to unseat uh, Siobhan Dunavant in uh, Senate District 10 as well. So uh, there was a win there for the Democrats and a loss there for the Democrats. So um, uh, Glenn Sturdivant wind up losing his seat. And um, I- I'm going to say it wrong. How do you say it? Uh, uh, Ghazala Hashbi. Ghazala Hashbi winds up flipping that seat and becoming, I believe, the first Muslim-American. Uh, th- yep, that's correct. That will be seated in the General Assembly. And then there are some really squirrely things that happen with the election result tally in the uh, Deborah Rodman, Siobhan Donovan race. Uh, tell us a little bit about, in those two particular races, I know they were heavily watched um, in regards to indicators for if it was going to be a really good night for Democrats or really bad. So they split those. But tell me what you took away from each of those races. Well, so if you if you had asked me a month before the election, I would have predicted it would break down that way. And that was just from, mostly from talking to progressive activists. People were so excited about Hashmi. Uh, they were out there knocking doors. And with Rodman, there there were some lingering bad feelings over the primary, right. kind of the primary shenanigans, right. as, as someone put it to me. But... Um, you know, the Democratic Party was nervous about Vina Loth. They s- seemed to think she, she wouldn't have st- stood a good chance against, um, at least this is what everyone's been telling me. That, against Siobhan Donovan. That, yeah, right. that they didn't think Loth was the right choice, so they heavily tried to recruit someone else, and they pulled Rodman, who I think was very popular in her district, in mm-hmm. her seat, but that's a really vulnerable time. Your first, uh, you know, your first term as a legislator that they always say that the uh, the incumbency benefit is its weakest when you go up for re-election. Sure. So to, to not only to be going up for re-election, but to also shift into a new a new seat was probably uh, probably a big gamble on the Democrats' part. And so, and like we said, so uh, Hashmi winds up winning. Rodman winds up losing after some election day tallying issues, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. actually election day shenanigans as much as it looked as if some districts had come in for, in favor of Rodman that weren't the case. Right. I think, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm not sure what happened there, but it, it looks like that was a state board of elections mm-hmm. issue with the data. I, I actually, I was trying to, I was seeing they're writing the article about Hashmi. And ac- even that race too, the numbers were coming in not accurate. I, at one point I saw 100% in Hashmi ahead um, 12 points, I think. Uh, so I, which I then called it on Twitter and started writing my article. And it turned out that And got that there flooded was by messages from sure. viewers like, wait, wait, no, 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 no. That, that's, that's not what happened. When I looked back, it was down to 22% reporting in. Right. And she was ahead by, I think, four points. Right. Which, which I still was pretty sure she was going to win, but I, I had to retract my tweet and uh, acknowledge that there was so, something wrong with the data there. But you brought up an interesting point because they are kind of very closely neighboring, if not overlapping districts. What did Hashmi bring to the candidacy that really invoked a lot of enthusiasm? So I really think the, I, I do think the, some of the hardcore progressives who really get out there and work, they told me they were still voting for Rodman, but they weren't going to go out and work and knock doors. But they were, they, they're close enough that they were out there for Hashmi. Mm-hmm. And I think just that both camps had a ton of money, so they were able to hire door knockers. But I don't think you can downplay the significance of those incredibly debt. Like, 
you know, these are mostly women who are activated in uh, 2016 into politics, many for the first time. Uh, the I can't remember her name right now, but the woman who started uh, Liberal Women of Chesterfield County mm-hmm. has always described herself as pretty much an apolitical person until the morning after Donald Trump's election. Mm-hmm. And she now has, I think, 4,000 women are part of her group. And they, they all they all knock doors. They all call call people they all talk about politics at the playground you know when they pick up their kids uh a lot of them are moms they have lots of networks social networks and family connections and this is correct me if i'm wrong this is something you saw immediate dividends with races like the abigail spamberger race oh yeah absolutely yeah we've been seeing it for two years and i think it really one one of the women said um grace jones i think her name was is one of the members but she said to me you know we got angry in 2016 and we've only gotten angrier in the mm-hmm. last two, the last three years. Uh, we haven't. None of our enthusiasm has has dripped, has gone away. But yeah, so they've built. They have more members now than they do when they first started. And it's not just, you know, I, I think the RTD's headline was something like um, driven by anti-Trump sentiment. Mm-hmm. But I would say what I saw out there wasn't just anti-Trump sentiment. It was really. And this is everything that a lot of analysts are saying is it's uh, the Democrats in Virginia are focused on national issues and national politics. But what I actually saw was local issues that they really care about, like like gun control, which, sure, it's a national issue. Sure. But as many people said to me, you know, Virginia Beach is just down the road. Um, mm-hmm. Virginia Tech is, you know, where I went to school or where they went to school. Um, so I, I think a lot of people see what something of, as a big national issue as really a local issue. And especially the 93-minute session this summer where the Republicans right. voted to adjourn without discussion on guns. And this was after, guns. right after Virginia Beach, right? After yeah, Virginia that, that yep. incensed people to a big degree. And that's, I heard that over and over from the women who are out there door knocking and canvassing was, we have a party in control that's not going to do anything that we want them to do. Right. So, and so we're going to get someone elected who will. I've got two questions uh in regards to the state overall and what this new kind of reality means with the Democrats controlling the House and the Senate. One, um, there is a already an immediate kind of challenge for who's going to be Speaker of the House. If, uh, <laughs> if, if you're following this, it, I, I don't know how this kind of plays out, but there is kind of the minority leader who was Eileen Fullicorn, who will probably you know challenge to be Speaker. And then there's this wave of younger um, African American, um, uh, Sam Rasul is I want to say an Arab American that's in the General Assembly mm-hmm. who's announced that he wants to challenge for Speaker. Um, Latish Arid out of uh, the uh, Petersburg yeah, yeah, area, Luke Luke, Luke, Tor- Luke Torian I believe is also. So all of these people are trying to figure out who's going to kind of control the agenda as Speaker of the House. Is the way that you see this? Is that is there any danger in that type of? Uh, you know, is that just kind of what happens, or is there kind of is there I, a problem? <laughs> so I think the Dem- I I don't, I don't think it's a problem. I think the Democratic Party in Virginia has grown. You know, I, th- I think it's really representing a lot. You know, we have the first Muslim Muslim woman mm-hmm. in um in the state Senate now, and I think the party has grown. Especially the activists have grown. So the um, Care in Action is one large nonprofit that mm-hmm. invested three hundred thousand dollars in Hashmi. Because she's a woman of color who has the who has the policies that they're looking for and cares about their communities, um, and I so I don't think it's I don't think it's a problem. They have all these different people running. I think it's just kind of the natural evolution of Virginia state politics. I I do think 
Uh, you had mentioned something before the show. I think what's the what percentage of um, people in Virginia are are African Americans at thirteen percent? I think it's about thirteen percent. Thirteen percent. So I, I think it it's a difficult statistic. You know, when you look at the makeup of the state, it's a difficult state for for someone to run who is African American or Black on a statewide election. And so one thing I've been hearing from a lot of activists is the Democrats should really unite behind someone like Lucretia Aird mm-hmm. and make her Speaker of the House as as more than just a token thanks to the community to the mm-hmm. communities that really worked hard to elect them. It's um when we look at all the women, especially the women of color who have won election in the last three years in Virginia, that's that's the the sense is that this is the hard work of communities of color has really changed the political landscape in Virginia. And by the time and it's time yeah. to let them be the leaders and represent the party in a, in a meaningful way. And that could be the speaker of the house. By the time this interview airs, the uh, speakership will be decided. I believe it's being decided this weekend and our show airs on Tuesdays. As you know, that we are live on Tuesday, not really live on this particular interview, but the interesting thing that I heard, and I don't, I don't disagree with it. Um, I'm just trying to kind of figure out how it plays out is that the legislative black caucus post February in the state of Virginia could have really just blown, mm-hmm. blown the electoral state of pot, like the state of politics in Virginia could have been blown completely. If the legislative black caucus had really, um, angled in a way to, you know, make it very hard with for Northam governor. Yeah, and the yep, photo. Yeah. With governor Northam, uh, even to Lieutenant governor Fairfax to an extent. Mm-hmm. And by them not doing that, uh, in, in actually kind of spending this time um, as they go through kind of traveling and healing and, and you know, they're out on the stump in many ways now together. Um, there, there's a theory that uh, the Legislative Black Caucus may have even more influence, even though it's, a, you know, it's, it's still a fairly small number. I, I think 23 members as of this election. Right, which is actually not, it's a pretty significant yeah, percentage which, when you yeah. think about it. Um I, I have heard that there's ways that they're going to wield different types of influence that may play out in things like who's elected to the speaker. Well, I think they've clearly shown the electoral and popular support for their platforms and for, for that representation. The other thing I want to ask you before, before we switch gears really quickly before I get you oh. out of here and talk oh. about local stuff, I do want to ask not just about the kind of in, inner working politics, but what could be dangerous or has the potential to be dangerous actually from a legislative agenda standpoint, right? Republicans and, and conservatives are already gearing up and saying, buy all the guns you can now, and and they're going to, you know, it's going to be a full move to socialism type so, stuff. So, okay, so I actually heard very little gun talk on from Republicans. Abortion was the big concern that I heard over and over. Okay. Um, uh, to the point where the the best anecdote from the campaign trail was there are two two women at one of the tents uh, for the Republicans. I went around and actually one one thing that I found really interesting was very few Republicans would do an interview with me. Mm, sure, e- even with every assurance I could give them ahead of time, which to me said they were really nervous about the outcome of the election. You sure. know, no one wanted to be out there in the press if there was a big loss. Sure, um, but I did get I got a couple couple women to speak to me throughout Chesterfield at the polls and. Uh, over and over, it was abortion was a big fear. But the best moment, I was talking to women, and they said, you know, we're pretty sure the Democrats are going to win. Uh, this is, it's all coming down. And they said, and that's it. You know, there, there's some really dangerous people in there, like Abigail Spanberger. 
I said, I said, really, what, what, where are you nervous about with Spamberger? And they said, we well, you know she's a socialist. Um, she wants to t- take our guns. And how much longer would we have left in this state, you know, with her in power? And I said, well, you know, I, I've never really thought about it that way. I don't think you have to be afraid of her. At that point, Abigail Spamberger pulled up, got out of her car, you know, with her crew and came <laughs> over and said, you know, hello, thank you for what you're doing to the Republican women. I, I think. To, you know, she could tell there is, she's just trying to be mag- magnanimous. One of the women almost squealed and moved in to embrace her. And they were so excited. It was like they'd just seen a celebrity walk up. You know, was it? I really wanted to say that. Sure. <laughs> you just told me you're afraid of her. Right. <laughs> and here you are, like, you know, what you, uh, one of the women gave her a hug. Oh, that's They that's both amazing. shook her hand. They were extremely excited to meet her in person. So I, I think... Um, that kind of suggested to me that their their stated concern about guns and socialism were maybe not the biggest issue for them. It really brought me back to what I did hear over and over from Republican voters who stopped to talk to me, which was abortion. Mm-hmm. That was that's an issue that really really has some kind of incentive. So I think if the Democrats are make another misstep like they did last time with the other abortion bill, mm-hmm. I think that that's the type of thing that could drive drive some uh, backlash at the polls. David, let me uh, get you out of here on this because you also did some uh, local coverage, especially here in Richmond on the 5th District City Council seat. It went to Stephanie Lynch. Stephanie Lynch got a big win. And it, actually, when you look at the numbers, a pretty crowded field. There was quite a few um, candidates that got a number of number of votes. Um, and my question to you is when you were kind of traveling around, I know you had done some interviews with Stephanie as well, um, what did you see from her that put her over the edge in such a crowded field? That's a great question. I think a lot of people were torn between her and Thad Williamson. That's what that's what I heard repeatedly was they liked both of them quite a bit. Uh, what I heard from people who ended up voting for her was that they felt more like she developed a plan around their concern. A lot of people said to me, you know, I like Thad. I think he has some great ideas. I, I think he really you know, cares quite a bit and wants to do great things for us. But at the same time, they said, you know, when Stephanie came and spoke to me, I felt like she took in everything I told her and then kind of came back. And in fact, she actually did release a mailer, a highly targeted mailer to different neighborhoods, kind of collecting all of those neighborhood comments and complaints, which I I think that went a long way. And I heard people mention that mailer to me too at the polls and Mm -hmm. the, the, most interesting thing to me about that race, too, I think part of it was her background in running elections, well, in running canvassing operations and camp- campaigns. Right. Because that morning I asked her, at, I think it was 7 a.m. at John B. Carey. She pulled up really quick, checked the, the machine count, and ran back to her car with uh, Hashmi literature to go distribute. Yeah, she was working she was, on yeah, She was working day. everything. Yep. And, uh, and I said to her, what, what do you think? What's your feeling? And she said, well, you know, it, this won't run till, till later, so I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, she said, I, I think I have 28% of the vote. Uh, I, I did the math. I have tw- between 27 and 32% based on my IDs. If those people come out and vote for me, it was a margin of error of four, four points either way. Mm-hmm. She said, but I, I think I think it'll be right about 28. And that that's the margin she won by. So I do I, I do think that she, she knew how to run a campaign in a way that uh, she had the practical experience running campaigns that maybe the others didn't have. How much of Navy Hill affected this particular city council race? 
I think Navy Hill was the second most important issue for people. It, just from what I heard at the polls again and, and what I heard when, when I went door to, I followed some of the candidates around and listened to people on the doorstep. Uh, number one was overwhelmingly education, school funding uh, particularly. Number two was uh, safe streets, which surprised me because that's kind of my own pet pet issue. You know, sure. I, I, I bike everywhere and I usually have my daughter in a, a bike seat with my 11-month-old in a little seat with me on the bike. So I, I care about that quite a bit. I didn't realize how much other people did, but even at the polls, I'd ask people and they'd say, you know, safety, safety when I'm biking or walking or taking the bus. Um, but number two was always Navy Hill. You know, so if someone told me education was their top issue, second was Navy Hill. If it was streets, second was Navy Hill. So I don't think it was the number one issue for a lot of people, but I think it was an incredibly important issue. Well, David, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for all of your work. Let everybody know where they can follow you on Twitter and uh, Instagram and all the, all the places uh, they can follow you and catch your work. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Strever Writes. I, I'm not a great Instagram user, but uh, <laughs> but that's all. That's just you have David 11, Strever. You have an 11-month-old now. That you should just fill it up with pictures of your family. Uh, that that's Well, that's mostly what I use it for. So right. if you go there looking for work, you might be disappointed. No. But Twitter's great, and make sure you follow him uh, and... This is, again, the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Cheats Movement. I am joined right now by a very special guest. So excited to have her on short notice. As we were talking earlier with David Schreeder, there was a big election uh, last Tuesday. One of the biggest, most uh, talked about races in Richmond was for the 5th District City Council seat. Uh, I think there was about eight, seven or eight uh, individuals running. It was a highly contested uh, seat. And the winner of that seat joins us now, Stephanie Lynch. Welcome to the Cheats Movement. Hello, Mr. Cheats. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm th- like again. I asked how you're doing, but I, I really want to know. I'm really interested <laughs> about how you're feeling. Obviously, a big kind of election, highly contested. We really, I mean, most pundits didn't know, or our media types didn't know how it was going to turn out. Um, it turned out in your favor. You racked up about. I mean, nearly 2,000 votes. I think the vote total on the Board of Elections is 1,982. Uh, That's 27.5% of the vote. Uh, so you did really, really well in a contested field. H- how is it going? How do you feel now that the election's over? Um, well, I mean, I feel so, so humbled and honored um, to have the support of the 5th District residents. I mean, clearly... I think the message of um, public service, listening, um, truly being a voice, a channel um, for their voices resonated with with voters. Um, I really do feel that the hardest work is ahead. And, um, you know, there were no victory laps. Uh, I'm not, you know, one to shine my own star. So I'm not, you know, bathing in glory or anything like that. But I just I'm, I'm like, where, when do we get to work? Let's go. Let's let's do it now. This is very interesting because city council rate the nature of city council races have changed mm-hmm. uh, considerably in regards mm-hmm. to just how much you have to go door to door, how much you have to even raise money or do events. One of the interesting things about this race 
was that it, it was basically it's a special election right mm-hmm. it was um, mm-hmm. for a city council member that is stepping down mm-hmm. you were the only city council race on the ballot and it's really considered uh, a swing district that you have really quickly tell the listeners about the fifth district and we'll go from there so the fifth district uh for those who are fil- familiar with uh richmond virginia is is essentially a concentric circle around Belle Isle. So you have the river that cuts right in the middle in the heart of the district. So I'm north of the river. You have um, affluent neighborhoods. You have working class neighborhoods. You have uh, traditionally African-American neighborhoods. You have a large student population. Um, on the south of the river, you have kind of the same uh, demographic um, minus the students. We don't we don't have a, a large student population south of the river, but certainly we have kind of legacy homeowners, uh, African American communities, and then um, just a little portion that's that I would say is working middle class. Um, so if 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 you're reading between the lines, sure. that's the most diverse in Ex- demographic diverse. terms. Like, how, do you do you know offhand how diverse is the is the fifth district in regards um, to like racial makeup income? So um, I believe it's 47% uh, at this point, 47% um, white, uh, 53% African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we don't have the most recent census data. So right. I suspect that I actually suspect um, just anecdotally knocking the doors that it's moved more to a 50-50. Um, but income wise, you have every income bracket represented, every uh, right. represented, every age group, um, every interest group. So you have folks that swing um, as far uh, left as, as kind of identifying with the Socialist Party to folks that swing as far right to being Tea Partyists. So, I mean, it's, it it's, is it really incredible. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's, a, and it's a beautiful district. It's a fascinating oh, district and best. a beautiful district. When did you decide that you were going to put your hat in the ring and just run for public office? Was this your first run for public office? First run for public office. When did, the, when did you decide and how did it come about? Unless VCU student body president counts. It counts. <laughs> <laughs> it all counts. <laughs> For which I said I would never run again um, after that. Um, it's that a very, probably, very serious position. Say, that's probably more cutthroat than <laughs> it the was. city council race. It was. It was, how, it was during the uh, the Hillary Obama primary. I, so I got, you know. I know how it goes. That mix. I know how it goes. Um, in any case, um, you know, I think... I think what can be said uh, about um, the race and about um, how how you had to appeal to voters is you really had to, you know, they really, um, the 5th District, I think, craves folks that are going to listen to the individual neighborhoods and the individual concerns of residents that are pretty specific to those neighborhoods. We have some broad strokes issues that certainly impact the whole district and the whole city. Um, But, you know, folks largely want a city council member who is responsive and who is able to understand exactly what needs to be done for their block. Um, In many ways, the city council uh, member or representative of a district is responsible for the improvement of of, of the communities that they represent. Um, And everyone has different ideas about how to make those improvements, but ultimately the best and and uh, the best voice to listen to is the communities themselves and so that's what I really focused on um, and I was able to really be a translator 
uh, for some of the residents or all of the residents that I was able to speak with um, in, in kind of synthesizing what issues I was hearing about on the doors um, and then turning those into some solution, putting back out there some solutions on the table, um, some policy ideas. And I think that resonated with folks. I, I think you're absolutely right. The interesting thing about these types of uh, or any type of local race, because it's so door to door, it is your neighbor. Some of the issues you hear about are some of the most kind of localized, mm -hmm. you know, trash pickup <laughs> or things of that <laughs> nature. When you're listening to the residents and you're going door to door and you're forming your policies, now that, you know, it's worked out in the way that you had planned on or hoped for it to work out, do you go into city council? Because you get seated really quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, do you go into city council with a little bit of ideas of these are some of the priorities that I want to address immediately? Yeah, certainly, you know, having come fresh off the doors, I have the benefit of um, of having the most timely pulse of, of our residents and neighbors. Um, you know, I kept all of those um, suggestions and policy ideas and solutions that were put forward um, and, and have kind of compiled those. So I have an idea of what some of our priorities may, may look like going into the budget season here um, this year. But one of the things that I'm concentrating on it, uh, now, and I'm racking my brain, so people, if you're listening out there in TV land, give me some <laughs> suggestions on how to do best do this. But I'm racking my brain on how to reach the voters that I wasn't able to, to speak with and, and voters and residents in our district that, um, that traditionally don't come out and vote in off-cycle years. Um, and so what we're looking at is a whole universe of residents that either didn't participate in this year's election or maybe weren't paying attention as much to local issues this year, but plan on coming out next year in the presidential. Very much are civic or, or want to be civically engaged who just haven't been touched yet. So, I mean, I'm thinking outside of the box about how to do some type of QSR scan system where we can get folks emails if they want to be involved or and want to get updates and want to provide input. But I think that we really need to be creative and think outside of the box in the coming year. And at least for me, that's going to be my priority and I'm already racking my brain on how to do that. And, and it's an interesting point, right? So correct me if I'm wrong, but you get seated almost immediately, but you're back on the ballot. Is it again right next year? Absolutely. So this kind of campaign that you ran, and I mean, this just kind of continues, right? While you're kind of doing the work of city council, but you're still probably going to be door to door meeting people and and because it, it comes right back around. Is oh, that is happy. that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark. What, uh, <laughs> let me ask yeah. you this. And because I, I hear some of the bigger themes, whether it's he health care or education, especially um, in, in Richmond and localized, like RPS is, I know, such a big deal. What are some of the top priorities that you heard when you were going door to door? You know, it's really interesting because... North of the river, I mean, again, it's, it's so localized, sure. so it, it really does break down to, to neighborhood. Um, you know, obviously, it's schools, it's roads, it's uh, safety, um, it's, it's traffic uh, and pedestrian safety. Um, I mean, those are really the three, I mean, if it, the three big themes, there are three big buckets that um, kind of a lot of these other localized issues fit into. Um, but it's interesting because the divide between south and north of the river is is pretty stark. So mm -hmm. south of the river where I live and I am the first resident to um, live south of the river to represent this district. Which oh, is wow. I did not know that. 
ever. Um, and so south of the river, our concerns are really, you know, um, safety, traffic safety, and, um, and schools. Um, and, and, you know, we, we're in a neighborhood south of the river where I could be out on my porch and hear 12 gunshots, mm. right? North of the river, not so much. I mean, right. they just have different, um, north of the river, you may hear things more like infrastructure or loose leaf collection programs sure. or, um, I mean, certainly schools is, you know, a priority too, but we have great north of the river, um, you know, the, the, we've got Fox, we've got Benford, we've got John B. Carey, um, we've got Maymont, um, you've got open um, high school, um, you, you've got community. South of the river, we have a wonderful, fantastic um, Westover Hills Elementary School, wonderful Swansboro, but Swansboro needs a lot of renovation. And then we have George Wythe High School. And, you know, largely there's a lot of residents south of the river that feel like their zoned schools haven't gotten as much attention haven't gotten as much resources, particularly when you look at Swansboro and, and George Wythe. Um, and certainly that is true when it comes to our roads and, uh, and, and traffic safety. We just haven't, um, you know, I think there's some more um, resources and, and, and things that we could allocate to, to make those types of improvements south of the river. One thing that you didn't mention that I hear a lot about is Navy Hill. <laughs> Oh well. <laughs> well, yeah, Mark. I mean, that's the big one. In the well, here's <laughs> well, here's the no. Here's here's the interesting thing, though, because I've had yeah. several conversations with people that have covered your race and is, has covered the city, and one of the things that I heard, you can tell me if this is uh, accurate or not, is that Navy Hill and I think David Shriver talked about this in a previous interview that uh, on this program, mm-hmm. Navy Hill's always around number two or three, but it was never number one. No. Um, so education is going to be number one. Infrastructure might be number one. Healthcare might be number one. But Navy Hill's somewhere kind mm-hmm. of in the consistent two to three area. One of the interesting parts about this race was a lot of the activism around the race was a vote for this person is a vote for Navy Hill. A vote for this person is not a vote for Navy Hill. How do you approach uh, the Navy Hill project as you're going into office? Yeah, so, I mean... I, is, that a, is that a fair way to ask <laughs> Yeah, and I want to ask as open as possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to answer as open as possible. <laughs> right, right. No, exactly I'm going to give you a definitive answer because that's what politicians should do when they have an opinion about something. They shouldn't hide the ball. Um, I think uh, so. No, I think the deal as it stands right now is bordering on irresponsible. I think the goals of the deal and the intent of the deal, or what the city's intent is rather, is noble in that they want to create and revitalize a downtown that Richmond City residents and resident I mean you know residents from surrounding counties can come and spend their money and we're generating revenue and we're we are um, effectively uh, creating a rena- renaissance uh, downtown that we haven't had since the, the turn of the century remember that in the turn of the century, that was a thriving, I mean, people would, would drive in from hours away to go downtown and do their shopping sure, and, uh, and hold public events. I mean, it was at one point in time, um, uh, you know, a star in the constellation of Southern cities. Um, what it has become is a series of blighted city-owned properties that we have sat on as a city for uh, decades and decades. The infrastructure as it stands right now is, uh, and and the, the property as it stands right now, is not marketable to 
outside investors and developers because there's a lot of work that this city needs to do before we could put a for sale sign up. And so what I think, what the intent of this deal was, was to make it sweet enough and to to create a big enough incentive for a group of people to come in and make it, and I'm putting this in air quotes, an investment. She is, she's using air quotes right now, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I see the air quotes. An investment um, in into the downtown um, arena and into those 10 square blocks. Um, is it 10 or 80? That's the question. <laughs> That's the question we're all trying to figure out. How many square blocks is it? Because it's 10 square blocks of, of, development. Re- of development. It's 80 blocks of like cost. <laughs> yeah, it's 80 blocks of cost. You do the math. Um, <laughs> If you guys think that adds up, then <laughs> might be in the li- r- r- wrong line of work. Um, in any case, so um, you know that that therein lies. You know, therein lies. I think the inherent problem with the deal is the fact that we are committing 80 square blocks, um, and you have to ask. And we just yeah, just so we be clear, because look, I don't need uh, <laughs> I don't need so, I don't know I don't need certain people calling me and saying I'm misleading the people or anything like that. It's yeah. what we're talking about is the TIF financing uh, footprint. Yep. That stretches way beyond the actual development That's zone, right. and and you know TIF funding. Without belaboring the point, it is a practice that is used uh, in regards to these types of uh, certain types of development deals, in which uh, the bonds get paid back more faster. I, I just uh, you know I know too many people on all sides. I don't need to get any phone calls or text messages after this comes out no. saying you know. Right. I'm misleading people right. on on the uh, right. no. I was just joking. So right. relax there. <laughs> NH <laughs> District Corp. Relax. <laughs> and we love you too. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Relax. But I mean, you know, so I think there is a way forward. I think there is a way, a, a path forward where everyone eats, everyone can uh, uh, can can benefit um, from both the property downtown wireless um, generating revenue on a quicker timetable. Um, and I look forward to finding that pathway forward, but is not going to be a pathway forward that includes an 80 square block uh, radius of money revenue that would otherwise have been generated for the city and going into the general fund um, and, and, and raising. Personally, I don't, I don't see any municipality or locality that should be in the business of capital investment and angel investment. That's not the city's place. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice you are hearing is Stephanie Lynch, who just won a big election uh, last Tuesday for the 5th District City Council seat. We are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with Stephanie, have a little bit of fun, and close out this program. We'll be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We are back with Councilwoman-elect Stephanie Lynch of the 5th District now. Are you getting used to that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a little bit of fun because um, we want the listeners to know a little bit more about you. So here you go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Shoot. When you're not working... Mm. In Richmond, so <laughs> let's keep it localized. <laughs> what are some of your favorite kind of restaurants and places to go? 
like RVA activities. I will, I will preface this by saying that when out of all the questions that they asked me in the forums, and I mean, literally they were asking us to solve world hunger and public education in like 30 seconds. Um, this, like that question was the hardest one. What do you do to unwind? (laughs) That was the hardest question. No, it was because you guys were asking me to pick my favorite spots in Richmond. I have so many. Um, so really big fan of, um, of course, South of the river, you know, my mornings, a lot of my mornings start off at WPA and crossroads. And I like to have, um, a kind of morning ritual routine with my godson before we take him to school at Westover Hills elementary is getting coffee, um, and, uh, and breakfast from either WPA or, um, crossroads, you know, seeing community members and, or as I like to call club crossroads, it's really good. I appreciate it. Right. 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 It. Um, you know, I am a huge fan and always have been of all of the bars and wonderful bars and restaurants on, um, uptown. Um, I'm really, really like shout out to my boy, AJ Brewer for just Slaying it on Whole Street and in Manchester. Sure, do you, Brewers Waffles? Are you a fan oh, of Brewers absolutely. Waffles? Absolutely, Brewers Waffles. Um, the Pig and Brew, um, which is a restaurant right next to this, like quickly becoming one of my favorite um, places to stop. Nice. If you haven't had Manchester lemonade, go grab one. I, have, um, I don't think I have. <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah, okay. please, go, please go indulge. Um, and, uh, and of course, I would be remiss if I did not mention my beloved Jewel and my favorite place to go, which is the James River. Very nice, yeah. very nice. Do you, speaking of which, and this is not this is not the fun questions. This goes back to it because because Hall Street's just an interesting, super interesting, like <laughs> has an interesting future, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What have you heard? What do you what would you like to see? Because there's been some investment, there's been some development. There's there's entrepreneurs like AJ. Uh, if we're talking about the good side of things, the there's the, you know <laughs> seriously, there's. Um, entrepreneurs like AJ that you know started with Brewers Cafe on Bainbridge I believe and now he's got Brewers Waffles he's got the Well Gallery um, and it's just really Manchester Manifest is one of my favorite activities oh, and it's, so it's one of those things where you know there's a lot of culture going back to Hull Street at the same time I think you see some of the challenges that you were talking about whether it's blight or whether it's um, things that need more attention mm-hmm. what, do, what do you think the future because every couple of years in Richmond, you'll hear, okay, it's going to be Brooklyn Park Boulevard. Okay, it's going to be Hull Street. Like, something's going <laughs> to make a big turn in the corner. What, what, what do you hear about Hull Street? Um, so, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Siegel, uh, the Siegel, uh, and I'm air quoting again, Grocery Center um, is still uh, still in debate. Um, the Hilds and their lawsuit, which, um, just quick background, um, the Hilds owned a, a development company. They are largely responsible for um, developing uh, major parts in Churchill. They came and, and purchased, I think it was six block. I'm going to get that wrong, so don't quote me. But um, it was it was a substantial amount of blocks on um, Whole Street and beyond. Um, I think there's still some question marks there about what's going to become of those properties um, as they move through their legal proceedings. Right. Um, you know, I think, I think that that, Whole Street has an amazing, amazing amount of potential. Um, it was once called, you know, the Harlem of the South Side, and it was a beautiful. <laughs> I it was, I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this um, is you dropping game on me. That's yeah, new. Yeah, yeah. Harlem of the South Side. <laughs> it was a once really. I mean, it was a once yeah, thriving. Said, hold, hold on, hold on a second. Let's just let's, let's stop right there. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I heard obviously Jackson Ward, Harlem of the South. Yep. Manchester, Whole Street, Harlem of the South Side. So they used to, 
I, I lived in Manchester for six years. Yo, that's yeah. amazing. So that's I great. T- so, so a couple of the families that were legacy families there, sure. would, yeah, that's how, where I learned that coin term. Um, but, um, um, debate, if you will, with the Jackson no, I, lo- I love it. I, I want all over the Southside shirts <laughs> I mean, like, right now. Yeah, but that makes this sense. Is, this is really. I'm gonna. We're gonna run with this. Yeah, well, let's run with that. I'm surprised, um, uh, AJ. Look, I need, I need, I need something, La- ladies and gentlemen. We need Harlem at the Southside. Yeah, and I products. think I think that's it. Um, and AJ, as you know, moved here from New York. Sure. Um, has his roots in Richmond, but moved here from New York about. Uh, five years ago if I can recall correctly um I was there when he was setting up shop and painting um AJ Brewer's coffee shop and I knew and his Parker was barely a year old and I knew then that AJ was going to be a a stalwart in that community in any case there's a lot of potential there I think the growth is going to come from within it's going to come from community leaders like AJ um uh like some of the restaurateurs that have uh you know in Croker spot that have have long been pioneers there moved there and have helped to revitalize the community um you know i think i think what they're doing right now um which is holding community engagement town halls there's one at the well i think it's on friday i don't want to give you the wrong date but um they're starting to have those community conversations and i think largely that's where the good the good ideas are going to start how many members of the current city council would you say that like you know, and you don't have to tell me individuals, but uh, or how many of them do you would you be tasked to be like, oh, I should get to know them? And the interesting question here is, a better question is, if you will, how do you go about forging relationships with with your peers on council now? Yeah, so I mean, um, so I knew four of them well previously. Um, I am getting to know, of course, all eight of my other colleagues. Um, I just had a wonderful lunch with Chris and Cynthia, um, Cynthia Newbills, the councilwoman Newbills, the um, so chairwoman. Right, the um, council. chair and former chair, right? And if you're looking chair, at Cynthia and Chris, chair, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and and I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna get some really good stuff done. I really do. Um, I think largely, you know, my approach is going to be the same when I'm passing any policy in the or working any um, uh, policy through through the governor's office or the legislature, and that's you know, um, consensus build where you can um, compromise and negotiate and um, and work the process. At the end of the day always 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 bear in mind who you work for and I work for the people those are those are my employees those are what voices I listen to um, that is who I'm gonna hold steadfast for um, I will be unwavering in my commitment to them but um, in order to really do good things for them I've got to be able to work with my other council member colleagues and I plan on doing that and I think there's really reasonable goals that we can achieve together if you were going to get into a fight, <laughs> like a real fist fight, not like a not like an intellectual argument, but like a fist fight, oh, what, what, two me- what two members of city council do you take with you? <laughs> okay, Chris Hilbert, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but like, who do you take with you in a fight? I will. Okay, can I tell you who I wouldn't take on in a fight? Well, you've already said Chris Hilbert, so I understand this. <laughs> this works well. This I would take well. Chris and Parker. No, I'm just joking. Parker and Chris, I love you both. Um, um, I would definitely would not get into a fight with Kim or Reva. I can tell you that. Like okay. they look, they, Kim looks like she would throw bows yeah, that like, would cut her rhinoceros. Right. And, and hey, there she's, you go. A, she's a fighter for the people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. No, so growing up, 
growing up now, not maybe you can say now, but growing up, what was your favorite movie? What was the movie that you'd play over and over again? Um, I'm gonna break this up into two categories. <laughs> That's getting really hard now. This is two really categories. <laughs> okay, my cult indie classic favorite, Donnie Darko, for sure, directed by the great Never Richard Lynch. Super freaky, kind of metaphysical movie. Okay. Um, should I see it? You should. You should totally see it. Um, it'll change your perspective. But this is. Travel. But this is growing up. <laughs> This or is, this, this is, this, is, oh, you, you mean like childhood maybe? Well, like, like growing up, yeah. Like, so right now, Darnie Darko is your favorite now, or is no, that was like no, a nostalgic? I'd say that's like a nostalgic. Okay. I mean, okay. um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Little Monsters. Sure. Yeah. Howie Mandel? Yeah. So, Fred Savage, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. that was one that I really gravitated towards, and then, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does that say about you? <laughs> Maybe it's just because Halloween's on the brain, and like, yeah, I, like I admittedly recently like scrolled through all my favorite childhood Halloween movies. See, my son's five, but like so Beetlejuice and Little Monsters, I think at five years old still t- I can't do it, right? Like I shouldn't be able. He shouldn't watch those things. Right? Oh my god, he's got to get exposed to the world somehow. <laughs> break him in, break him in, Mister Cheats. <laughs> You know, school hard enough. Oh, no, no. <laughs> okay, so Darnie Dar- Darko, what else you have? Um, I would say we're going to really go in the Wayback Machine, the movie that no, I watched. <laughs> well, no, you said two. Is there one now that you're like, this is this is what I rock with right now? Because hmm. you had two, I thought. Uh, Darnie Darko and then another one. That I watched over and over again as a kid. Um, uh, or now, or now. Is or there something now. you watch over and over again now that inspires you, pumps you up? It's probably going to be like an HBO Barack Obama documentary. Hocus Pocus. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's uh, too hey, close to go. Halloween. I've got Halloween there, It is. There. It's very Halloween-ish. It's too, it's too close to Halloween. Uh, similar question, same vein. You asked me about this. Uh, Music-wise, what's, uh, what's in well... What's growing up? What is the CD? If you're going on the desert island type thing, what like album do you take with you, or at least what artist's catalog do you take with you? And uh, this is growing up or now? Let's do now. Let's do now. Like okay. say you're you're on the desert island tomorrow. I don't tomorrow. know that you're gonna know this one. But I'm gonna know. I'm a music savant. Okay. Um, I'm not. Probably MF Doom, Urban oh. Spices. <laughs> okay. Stop. <laughs> Volume stop, Seven. Stop. <laughs> This is okay. Yeah, how like okay, ladies and gentlemen, I feel insulted. <laughs> this is, you're not gonna know this. Well, Have you heard I of mean, MF Doom? You know, I mean, I knew your taste in the underground okay, Matt, there, was unmatched, but you yeah. know, we'll we'll play a little bit of MF Doom instrumental for you. <laughs> but no, yeah. So so is he the artist that you would take like catalog wise or probably so either that or Liquid Swords. Um, I really I you know. Growing up, my my inspire like who I listened to on repeat was Tony Braxton, um, Monique, <laughs> what TLC, sad, what sad, sad. Destiny's Child. I know. <laughs> if you're leading, what, I know. No, Des- Destiny's Child's great. Uh, Destiny's Child. Well, uh, writing's you know, on the wall. Like, but I'm when sorry. you started, like, with that was like, <laughs> yeah, that was, I was my, like, that was my. When you start with Tony dance. Braxton, I was like, this is gonna be a sad childhood. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't sing any upbeat songs. At least I didn't break into song. I right, mean, I, no, I like it. That. I like it. I was almost about to break into he wasn't man enough for me, but I stopped. <laughs> Stop. Okay, like, thank you. I'll thank you, Stephanie. Thank you in this, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I'm sure we look forward to seeing you know how you 
navigate the waters of city council for the next year and then just whatever your future entails. Um, please tell everyone that is listening how they can follow you, how they can be in touch with you. I appreciate you so much for having me on um, this afternoon, Mr. Mr. Cheats. Um, you can just call me Cheats. <laughs> this is, these, You're getting cool now. These Mike. things will edit out. <laughs> so you can follow me. Um, actually, you know what's really sad is I don't know my Twitter account name. I should probably know that. It is Stephanie Lynch for Council, I believe. I started following now you, you can, this now week. You can edit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got it. Really this is the, this is stuff we will keep in. We're keeping all of this in, ladies well, and gentlemen. You remember, don't you, were, you remember when you were telling uh, me Tim Kaine didn't know how the, the he, yeah. he, was he was getting used to the, the Twitter. Um, I believe it's Stephanie Lynch for Council, right? Stephanie Lynch. Uh, Stephanie for RVA. Okay. Yep. All right. So you can follow me um, on Twitter at Stephanie Lynch for the number four RVA. Um, my Facebook is Stephanie Lynch for Richmond's fifth district city council. My email is elect Stephanie Lynch at gmail.com and all of my campaign numbers and, um, uh, um, other contact information is listed there as well. And please do not hesitate to reach out. One of the things I pride myself on is being accessible and available. And I really do care about, um, your input and hearing how you feel about these issues. So um, I really do appreciate everyone staying in touch. And the, thank you again, Stephanie. And the last thing we'll say is that uh, I didn't know this until recently, but Stephanie and I both are uh, graduates in some form of the VCU School of Social Work. So <laughs> that's just, if there's not enough plug for the VCU School of Social Work, <laughs> the whole team over there with uh, Dr. Angel's doing, Mary Reddick, Tim Davey uh, is the old director as well. But you know, VC School of Social Work, uh, you know, they create city council members and, uh, you know, random radio hosts. So <laughs> <laughs> Amazing <laughs> it, constituent services if, staff. <laughs> if that is not an endorsement for the VCU School of Social Work, I don't know what is. You know, if you're, if you're just looking for some place to go and an awesome education, I will definitely plug the experience that you'll get at the VCU School of Social Work. Uh, with that said, absolutely become a change maker. (laughs) With that said, uh, again, thanks to Stephanie, ladies and gentlemen, we will be right back after this. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is today's episode. I want to thank David Shriver. Please make sure you follow him on social media. I want to thank my fellow VCU school of social work alum, councilwoman elect stephanie lynch please please make sure you follow her and stay engaged in everything that she's doing on city council and in the fifth district until next time richmond as always this has been the cheats movement on wrir we see it